On today's episode of the Wave Podcast, we have Brandon Hyde wins the 2023 AL Manager of the Year Award. Nobody more deserving in the AL or the entire MLB than Brandon Hyde for this award. Number one team in the AL, 101 wins. Absolutely crushed all expectations coming into the season. We show some love to our guy Hyder right off the bat, and we're talking about how excited we are for him and, as Orioles fans, how excited we are for the future of this organization. We're moving into the Ravens. Uh, who got a big win over the Bengals on Thursday night football. Joe Burrow leaves the game in the second quarter with a wrist injury. His season is now over. Mark Andrews leaves the game in the first quarter with an uh, ankle and leg injury. His season is most likely over due to injury. Uh, And on the positive side, we had some playmakers making plays. Odell Beckham looks like the OBJ of old, making plays, had his first 100-yard game in almost two years. Shout out to him. Zay Flowers had a really good game. Should have had a massive 68-yard touchdown that got pulled off by a BS holding call. Lamar Jackson's doing his thing. Todd Munkin and Mike McDonald were masterful in their game plans. So we're talking everything about this Thursday night football win and what it means for the Ravens moving forward. Looking ahead to this week, we're looking at the Ravens game against the Chargers in L.A. on Sunday night football. We're previewing the game. We're talking unit matchups. We're talking headlines coming into the game. Brandon Staley is chirping at reporters. Joey Bosa will be out for the Chargers this week due to injury. Josh and I give our analysis on the game, our thoughts, and our keys to victory for what we need to do to get out of L.A. with another dub. We're talking big college football this week. It is rivalry week in the NCAA. We're looking at all the best matchups across the country and the ones that we particularly have our eyes on. We're also talking a little bit of Jim Harbaugh scandal as well. What the admission or acceptance, we should say, of the three-game suspension means. And obviously, we have to talk about the game between Michigan and Ohio State this week. Last order of business, NFL Week 12 best bets. And then we send you guys into a great holiday week. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. If you're traveling, be safe. Enjoy the time with family and friends. Thank you guys for rocking with us each week. Here we go. Episode 80. Welcome back to the Wave Podcast. Today is Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023, episode 80. Josh, how you doing, man? How are you? How was your week again? I'm doing a whole lot better this week than I was last week. You know, uh, we got Thanksgiving coming up in a couple of days. I remember this used to be like the busy week, week of our lives at Loyola, just waiting oh, yeah. for the turkey bowl. I'll still be watching that. Uh, we already have a Ravens win, so the turkey's going to taste a little bit better. I'm doing pretty good. Can't wait to get up to Baltimore. This time, we're recording this on Monday right now. So this time, tomorrow, I will be in Baltimore for the first time in a couple months. So it will feel really good. It will feel really, really good. Hell yeah. Yeah, dude, I'm with you. I That was the biggest reason that I wanted a win uh, Thursday night was I literally just, I wanted my Thanksgiving to not be ruined. I wanted to be able to enjoy the week, enjoy Thanksgiving, enjoy the dinner, and not, you know, have a have a sour taste in my mouth from, from the Ravens losing. Uh, I've talked yeah. about this. 
I've talked about this at length, both on the show and not Thanksgiving, in my opinion, is the best holiday for adults. Um, it's my favorite holiday, like far and away. Uh, it's a, it's a holiday centered around spending time with family, being lazy, watching football and drinking and eating delicious food from literally sunup to sundown. It's the best holiday for adults. It's the best holiday period. Um, and you know, I, I needless to say, I've had this holiday circled literally since the beginning of the year. So yeah, this is, this is like one of my favorite weeks out of the calendar year. I'm super pumped and it just makes it that much better that we got a Ravens win to celebrate as we go into Thanksgiving week. So yeah, I feel you. Yeah. Thanksgiving is definitely one of my favorite holidays. I I'm a little bit biased. I love Christmas and I love Easter. Uh, for me, mm-hmm. just personally faith reasons. I love those, like I love those holidays a lot. Um, but Thanksgiving might be the most fun holiday. Um, a lot less stress than Christmas, a lot more like relaxed and mainstream than Easter is just, you know, calendar wise and such. Um, mm-hmm. Although Easter, sneaky Easter, you usually have March Madness around Easter. So that's the fun little Easter. Yes. Tip. But I love this week because like you said, it's about being grateful for what you have. There are a lot of sports on at this time. And it is a week where we kind of all just meant to check out and just kind of relax a little bit and kind of reset before like the Christmas rush starts. I love Thanksgiving. It is definitely my top three holidays. Um, definitely on my Mount Rushmore holidays as well. Um, oh, yeah. And not only do we have football going on Thanksgiving and the whole Thanksgiving weekend, rivalry week for college football on Saturday, uh, yep. Egg Bowl on Thursday as well. And you also have one of the most underrated weeks in sports with Feast Week with college basketball being on oh, all yeah. week. It is a great time for sports, a great time to sit on your couch, eat some turkey, eat some ham, eat some stuffing, eat some pie, and just be lazy and watch some sports. So that's what I'm thankful for this Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'll match that. I completely agree 100%. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, speaking of sports, we do have a lot to get into today. Uh, before we get into the Ravens, which we will talk about at length, um, it, it came out, I believe, as we were recording last week. Uh, Brandon Hyde is the 2023 AL Manager of the Year. Uh, I just wanted to shout him out and, and talk a little bit about him before we jump into the Ravens because, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Gunner last week winning the Rookie of the Year, which he was extremely deserving of. Um, and I know there were a lot of people who throughout the year talked about Brandon Hyde and how they felt about his management style and some decisions that he made. And I, and I was one of them at times. Um, but I don't think there was any manager, not even just in the American League. Like, I think in the entire Major League Baseball, I don't think anybody did more with less than Brandon Hyde. I mean, sure, you could talk about, you know, not necessarily doing more with less considering he had, you know, the number one overall prospect from last year, the number one overall prospect from the year prior going into the season. But, you know, you look at you look at some teams like the the Yankees, for example, who had a really good young young stud in Anthony Volpe. He was everybody was talking about him potentially winning rookie of the year, you know, and the Yankees. We all know about the Yankees. They have a they have a huge payroll and they invest into their team. Right. Same thing with the Red Sox. The Red Sox had um, Yoshida and he was he was talked about very highly coming over from Japan this year. And obviously the Red Sox payroll is what it is. I the, the, the Orioles payroll, I think, was something like 68 million this year. The highest paid player that was actually on the field for the Orioles this year was Adam Frazier. Um, you know, it was paid I'm, for by the Yankees, right? Uh, no, that was Aaron Hicks. That's right. Adam Frazier, right. Adam Frazier, we paid, uh, I think we gave him like 10 million or 12 million or something this year. Um, but Brandon Hyde, outside of the lineup, I mean, we really didn't have much pitching talent to speak of. Obviously, you know, Grayson came up for a little bit and then had to be sent down. And then after he came back up, he was much better. 
Uh, towards the end of the season, we got DL Hall, which a lot of us were waiting for from the beginning of the season. Um, but, you know, we were relying heavily on guys like CNL Perez, like uh, Yanir Cano, who came out of nowhere, uh, like Felix Batista, who obviously played really well at the end of the half, uh, last half of the season last year. But up until, you know, maybe 16 months ago, nobody really knew his name. So that's why I think Brandon Hyde really deserves more credit than he's getting, which is saying a lot considering now he's the manager of the year. $68 million payroll this year. I want to say that was like 28th in the league or 27th in the league. And, you know, he goes out, he wins 101 games. He's the number one seed in the AL going into the playoffs. Obviously didn't end how we wanted it to. Uh, but I just wanted to show some love to him because it was an incredible season from him as well as all the guys on the field. And I think he did a tremendous job with this team. Yeah, he absolutely did. Uh, Hyder's a great manager, definitely a part of the, I mean, we talked about it last week with just the future of this team is really bright and you have to thank Michael Elias and uh, Hyder for that. Um, I know some people, I know some people had questions with this managerial decisions. I wasn't able to follow as closely all throughout the year. So, but look, I saw it win total keep growing. So mm -hmm. by my book, he was good with me because we were winning games. And like you said, he did a lot with less. Granted, I know we have a great core and a great window, but those guys are still relatively young and they don't usually translate as well as they did unless you have a guy putting them in the right positions. I thought he even did a good job managing their health and managing them like as they were coming up. So uh, good on Brandon Hyde. Congratulations to win him AL Manager of the Year. Futures bright in Baltimore for baseball. I expect a lot of great things next year. Um, again, only one, I think the same thing with the Orioles that I think with uh, the Ravens, only one that can really beat us is us um, by mm -hmm. not, you know, extending the right people and getting the right people in place and such. But I think that will be okay and we'll see where the ships may fall next October if we're in it. So, yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and, you know, last we could sit here and sing Brandon Hyde's praises. I'm with you. I think he's, he's uh, perfect for this, this team, perfect for the city. Him and Elias work really well together and, you know, that was one of the reasons that Elias chose Brandon Hyde. He said, you know, Brandon Hyde, the guy that we're going to we're going to hire for this rebuild is not just going to be a bridge guy. We want somebody that can get us through the rebuild and still have us able to contend on the other side, which I think Brandon Hyde is doing exactly how he should. Um, obviously, he likes to tinker. And at times he's been called an over manager. And again, I'm certainly not free of, of that judgment. Um, but I think that's just kind of a shift in the mentality of baseball as a whole. It's not just a one person thing. That's just kind of how the game is managed now. And, you know, down the stretch and, and in games that we had to have, he did it right. He did it exactly how he was supposed to in the playoffs. I thought he managed very well. Um, but I, I'm really happy to see him not be that bridge guy because when he came in and the guys were playing for him and in those years where, where we were really bad and it was, it was some really dark times for the Orioles whenever they would get big wins. Like I remember early on in the season, maybe two or three years ago, we beat the Yankees. We won the series in New York and the guys like threw them in the shower and like a shopping cart and like just were all over them. So it was stuff like that that made me think like, oh, these guys really enjoy playing for them. So maybe we have something here. And, and I'm just really happy. I'm oh, sorry. You're good. I was just gonna say, I'm really happy to see this work out for Hyder. And I'm really, really excited to see him kind of take us through the next couple of years as as we, like you said, get into this window that is so firmly wide open for us. Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I'd rather have a guy You're like good. Brandon High who does tinker with things a little bit more rather than a guy like um, Eric Boone and Aaron Boone in New York, who, like, I've heard the criticism oh, yeah. a lot. And I can't remember if it was from you in previous episodes or from mm -hmm. social media. A guy that just relies solely off analytics and doesn't make any decisions himself. This is all computer-based. Yep. I'd rather a guy who actually has his pulse on the team rather than a guy who reads a computer and just goes with what 
the analytics or numbers say. Math doesn't win baseball games all the time. It does help. There is a human element to sports, and I think that Brandon Hyde mm-hmm. is the perfect guy to kind of mix in both the analytics as well as like the human element of it. So I'm thankful for a guy that thinks with it a little bit too much rather than just let's like hands off let's be. Yeah, no, that's perfectly said. And and to your point about analytics, Dave Roberts in uh, in LA is another one like that who's very analytical almost to a fault where he's like you know he, like you said he doesn't really coach with a or manage with his finger on the pulse, which is I think what what sets Hyde away from some other guys in the major league. So yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Congrats to Brandon Hyde. Very well deserved. I'm very excited to see what next year and the years, uh, the years prior, or excuse me, years following bring for this Orioles team. All right. So with that, I think we're good on the Orioles. Uh, Just like I said, wanted to show some love to Brandon Hyde. Let's move into the Ravens. Um, Obviously we talked about it all last week. It was a big game on a short week. Ravens hosted the Bengals on Thursday night football, end up getting the win 34 to 20. Uh, and the the last touchdown for the Bengals was really just kind of throw away garbage time touchdown. So the way that I look at it, we won that game 34 to 14. Huge win over the divisional opponent. Um, I think obviously you have to preface that with saying that Joe Burrow was not in the game for the last 35 minutes. Uh, not that I would put an asterisk on that by any means, because, uh, you know, that's just football and that's how it goes. I personally was a little bit bummed to not see Joe out there. You know, I. I don't like Joe Burrow by any means, obviously, because he plays on the Bengals, but I, I think he's really good. And I think uh, him and Lamar going shot for shot with one another brings out the best in each other. So it was kind of sucks from that aspect to not get their best, so to speak. But, you know, kind of like Roquan said at the end, we wish him a speedy recovery and it sucks. You never want to see anybody get hurt, but that's just football. You know, that's the game that we play. So obviously he wasn't out there for most of the second half or all of the second half and a little bit of the end of the second quarter there. But um, Ravens get a win. They did exactly what they needed to do. Uh, we talked about it last week. We had, we had an edge in seemingly every category. So we really should have expected us to go in and take care of business. And that's exactly what we did. You know, Lamar looked really good. I thought the defense was, was good when they needed to be, um, the run defense. We'll talk about it in a little bit here. Still maybe some questions, but I personally believe they'll get it figured out. I'm not super worried about it. Um, the, the, the one place that I wanted to start for this game, and it's something that not a lot of people outside of really a couple Baltimore circles have talked about, or I guess we should say a person that not a lot of people have talked about outside of ourselves. I don't think we are talking about Brandon Stevens enough. Brandon Stevens, obviously, Josh, you and I have, have been banging this drum for basically all season now. Um, but I think the fact that we were on national television on Thursday kind of highlighted that a little bit more obviously he gave up the touchdown to jamar chase on i don't know the bengals last play of the game but that ended a streak of like 450 something snaps without allowing coverage snaps without allowing a touchdown brandon stevens was on jamar chase both in week two and this week and flat out took him out of the game like absolutely locked him up and say whatever you want i know t higgins wasn't in that game i I'm pretty sure T Higgins played in week two, but anyway, neither here nor there in two games against the Ravens this season, primarily guarded by Brandon Stevens. Jamar chase had seven catches for 43 yards and a touchdown. That is wildly impressive. And look, I said it a couple weeks ago. I reiterated it last week and I'm going to say it again and again and again until it comes true. Brandon Stevens is a goddamn pro bowler. Brandon Stevens is having one of the best seasons, not only of his career, but in the NFL this year. He is an absolute pro bowler, one of the best corners in the game right now, unequivocally. 
Brandon Stevens is a really good football player, and like you said, he deserves to be in Pro Bowl. Now, hopefully he doesn't play for it because they're hoping to play in another bowl around that time of year. Right. But Brandon Stevens is an amazing football player. He's an amazing athlete, and he is just – he is a Raven. He's like the definition mm-hmm. of tenacity in a Raven. First of all, let's talk about how five-ish years ago this dude was a running back at UCLA, a yep. running back at UCLA. Transferred to SMU um, and transitions over to nickel, like corner safety, like an athlete mid-round draft pick, and comes in as a project. I even think that he was like the second or third guy drafted as a corner in that draft. Because I think, if I'm not mistaken, Amar Davis, right. like Amar Davis from Houston was drafted, or Alabama was drafted around that time too. Um, so you think he's just going to be a death piece? This dude's arguably the number one corner for the Ravens this year. Um, oh yeah. Granted, we know Marlon Humphreys had some injuries and has been out for a little bit, but we haven't really missed a step in coverage. Brandon Stevens has been playing absolutely amazing, and his ball skills only improved. I remember where mm-hmm. there would be plays last year, maybe a little bit early on this year, where Brandon Stevens would have great coverage and just the ball just either was a well-placed ball, he couldn't make a play on it, or you try to make a play on it, just the receiver mm-hmm. just out, just made a better play on him. Not his fault, but like he was right there. Now... He's making plays all over the field, knocking the ball away. His coverage is amazing. He's just on people like white on rice. The kid's an absolute, absolute stud and, like, turned out to be one of the number one corners, not only for the Ravens, but probably in, like, the league overall. He shut down oh, yeah. Jamar Chase. He shut down a lot of other, like, capable receivers. I think he even shut down um, George Pickens in Pittsburgh when they were on each other. Like, Pickens gave up, like, a play, had that play when Humphrey was on him, and Humphrey, I think, slipped or some that, that or bad communication. Kid's an absolute mm-hmm. gamer. I'll take Brandon Stevens over most receivers in the NFL right now, just his athleticism, the way that he's playing the ball. Um, he can run with anyone. He can cover. He can press cover. And he and um, I love that just him and Kyle Hamilton complement each other well. Yes. And he, Brandon Stevens is not the only safety to play, not safety, but the, not the only corner to play well Sunday, but he wants is the one to be highlighted on that defensive end, um, especially when oh, yeah. a game where our linebackers didn't play as well as we've seen him play throughout the year. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll do that later. So, yeah, Brandon Stevens is yeah. amazing. Yeah, Brandon, Brandon Stevens is absolutely unconscious, has been really all season, is playing out of his mind. So I just I wanted to start with him because I was really impressed with the way that he played. There were a few instances where I was specifically just kind of watching and watching him and looking at what he was doing. And then all the way up until that that touchdown that Jamar Chase caught on, I don't know, like I said, I think it was the last play that the Bengals ran offensively. Yeah, he was he covered that route perfectly. Like he was yep. right on. Jamar Chase really didn't have much separation. It was just, you know, it was a good route and it was a really well-placed ball on the outside. Yeah. And Jamar just, you know, he caught it with his feet in the end zone. Um, but Brandon Stevens really did all that he could on that route. Like uh, he played it per- perfectly. He was right on him. And, and you know, you just, sometimes you just have to tip your tap, tip your cap to the quarterback because Browning put it on him perfectly. Yeah. But, yeah. I thought, yeah. I thought he played well. And then transitioning to another member of the secondary that played extremely well. Marcus Williams, I think, uh, I think he might have he might have heard some noise last week. I think I think Marcus Williams listens to the Wave podcast because we. I was gonna said, say people are people are starting to ask if Marcus Williams listens to the pod because it sounded like he took everything that we said and was like, you know what, I'm just gonna go ball, and he he yeah. did that. He did exactly that. He was amazing coverage. He was physical again. He started to play with mm-hmm. a little bit of confidence that, you know, you get after getting some reps and after injury. And I don't even think any of us said anything really bad about Marcus Williams. We're just saying if he's not going to tackle or he's going to have communication issues, then don't rush him back. Right. Yeah, he's, I, I, think he's, I think he's prepared to be back. I think he's doing pretty well for himself <laughs> after last week. The first drive, he breaks up that ball. Absolutely just a great, 
first of all, great throw by Burrow and it, like mm-hmm. right in the receiver's hands. He just gets in there and disrupts it and fights until the like fights until like they both go to the ground. It absolutely just breaks up a huge what is it? What was it a third down play or something of that nature? It was I a think pretty it was, yeah. It was a pretty significant breakup, but he was flying throughout the field and just doing really well for himself. Yeah, Marcus Williams had a great game for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marcus Williams balled, and then there was that there was that play where across the middle, like Burrow tried to throw a little hitch route. Yeah, and and Marcus Williams baited him to the guy on the inside, and if he you know if he doesn't have a torn pec, he's probably taking that to the house, but still makes a really great play to to, to dive and break it up. Yep. And yeah, you're right. I, I think the thing that stood out was his physicality. He didn't he didn't play like he was scared, right? Like he was engaging in contact. He wasn't afraid to throw his hand at the ball. And I think that's kind of what we've been missing. Now, obviously, there's going to be some sort of limitations as far as tackling goes, but it looked like mentally he was just pushing himself through that. And he was yeah. like, Look, I have to make plays if I'm gonna be out on this field. And you know, credit to him because he he did exactly that. Um Obviously, we have to talk about it. Uh, the, the the biggest kind of headline or or ramification that came from this game was losing uh, Mark Andrews. Um, I was really worried when it happened, obviously, for, for Mark's health and moving forward just long term. But that first drive when he was in, and I think Lamar targeted him two or three times, hit him each time, and we just dominantly moved the ball down the field. Mm-hmm. So I, when I saw him go out, I was worried because I was like, Oh no, like was he gonna be part of the game plan? And you know, we just blew that out of the water on the first drive of the game. Um, so look, Mark Andrews, with all the weapons that we have, he still was our number one receiver. And I don't know that you're ever gonna replace that necessarily. What I will say though, um, a couple years ago, obviously, you draft Isaiah Likely and Charlie Kohler back to back picks in the fourth round. Um, this is an opportunity for both of them. It's an opportunity for one of them to separate themselves and say, Hey, I, I deserve to be a cog in the wheel of this offense. Like give me the opportunities. Obviously neither of them are going to be Mark, but you know, trust me with the ball in my hands. And I think both of them bring a different skill set to the position that we can utilize. Isaiah likely is good with the ball in his hands. He's shifty. He's not necessarily, you know, a burner by any means, but you get the ball in open space. He can run routes like a receiver, uh, I think that complements Kohler, who is more along the trajectory of uh, like a Nick Boyle. Yeah. Good good blocker, big body, can move bodies on the other side, but also is a very capable receiver as well. So I, I'm I'm really excited to see how Munkin uses both of them in, in Andrew's absence. Um, obviously, like I said, losing Andrew sucks. Harbaugh did leave the door open uh, today in his media availability, saying that there's an outside chance he returns this year. They got some good news based off of some of the MRIs and the imaging based off of, uh, you know, what they saw. I talked to uh, I talked to a buddy of mine who is in the athletic training world and said, best case scenario, if it's a if it's a hairline fracture and everything's intact for the most part, we're looking at probably like seven to eight weeks, best case scenario. So like I said to you earlier this afternoon, Josh, uh, that probably targets a late playoff run or a deep playoff run. But I think that's kind of where we have our our sights set on this year anyway. So if if we don't get there, I feel like this the season is a disappointment to to begin with. So who knows? Maybe we do see Mark Andrews again. But anyway, obviously that that that's a big loss for us coming out of this game. Yeah, it definitely is. I'm happy that it's not like the original like you know uh, fibula fracture that we thought it was. That would have been huge. Mm-hmm. Just not even only for this year, but just going forward in his career. I I love Mark Andrews just personally as a player. And he's like a great mm-hmm. guy. I know. 
I'm not, I don't know anyone. I don't know him personally, but I've, I've talked to people in his camp and just like had some like small, like interactions with people that know him and just, they speak absolutely highly of him. I know that, um, like I have a, somehow my mom got an autographed football from him at work one day. What? Like, yeah, he went to the, I think he went to the hospital where my mom works at and it was, oh, like, okay. during like the COVID, during like the COVID times. And like, I think he walked out when she was walking in. So she didn't know, she doesn't watch football. She doesn't know who Mark Andrews is. Like, <laughs> Somehow she talked to a doctor and she ended up getting like an autographed Mark Andrews football out of the conversation or whatever. Cause like the doctor knew that me and my dad love the Ravens. So we have it sitting in like my house back at home. Just like oh, random awesome. things like that. It just seems like he might make some really cool and just like, just how he is with the media and just like, you know, with the whole diabetes thing, how he talks yeah. about that. Just seems like a, a likable guy. So that is a huge loss, not only for the locker room, but just because like he's a great guy. You just want to see guys like that succeed, especially when they're on your team. Of course. Yeah. Also, I just think he's the best tight end. I think he was playing the best tight end this year and just in the NFL right now. So, mm-hmm. again, my just my thoughts on that. Um, even probably better than Kelsey this year, honestly. Um, so, he's having a great year. He's, like, obviously a great guy, but it just hurts because that is Lamar's, like, safety blanket. You heard Lamar. You saw Lamar's reaction as soon as he goes down. Oh, yeah. Lamar's, oh, yeah. Lamar was, Lamar was, like, distraught. Like, Lamar was, like, physically pissed. Right, yeah, and I've never seen Lamar you, you tell like he was, injury. Yeah, you could tell Lamar was, you know, beside himself about it. And and like you said, like Lamar even talked about it in in the post game press conference. He was like, you know, that's my guy. We both came in in the same rookie class. Like we came up together. Yep. So yeah, it, it, it sucks for it sucks for both of them. It sucks for Andrews, obviously, to to not be out there because of you know just what we know about him and hearing him talk and how much he loves his team, being a part of it, and how much he wants. I'm assuming to be part of this run. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we're all pushing him a speedy recovery, obviously. And yeah, absolutely. I'm not closing the door on him coming back this season. I know he's going to do everything in his power to get back out there. And and who knows, man, maybe in mid late January, we're talking about Andrews coming back and being maybe that difference maker that we need. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Although I don't I don't think you're going to replace Andrews at all. Uh, but I was thinking oh, about certainly my, not. I, don't, I was thinking about this in my drive to work today. But like, OK, what a what a great opportunity for, you know, some younger guys to step up. You've already mentioned guys like, um, uh, likely who's a, like really, was really good at college, had some flashes in the NFL, was playing mm-hmm. decent football for the most part. Mm-hmm. There are some things that you like to get better, but again, young player, he will naturally get better as time goes on. Charlie Kohler, who I think is special, can also play that Nick Boyle, Hayden Hurst role, love his mm-hmm. body, love the way that he can move. And like you said, love the way he blocks and can catch the ball in open spaces. We need a guy that can just play backyard football like Andrews does and sit in a zone and run good routes. I do think that likely and Kohler can add that to your repertoire. I don't think that's their forte right now, but immediately the name that I go to that can do that right now is Zay Flowers. I would expect mm-hmm. Zay I would love to see Zay Flowers and um, be able to pick apart zones and read, like, you know, just be able to sit down and catch a ball and just turn it upfield. We know that he has yeah. great hands. We know that he can have the capability to make people miss and gain that extra yak yards that Andrews could get. Obviously not the biggest body in the world, but he can at least be shifty and he's hard to catch. And that dude is absolutely fast. Why not put Zay Flowers in the slot more and have guys like OBJ or, you know, Bateman even out wide. Um, another opportunity Definitely. for Bateman to even step up and kind of sit in that zone and do what he mm-hmm. can do. Um, so I think the opportunity is there. I think there will be a little bit of an adjustment period, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Zay Flowers kind of adapt to that, sit in the zone, pick apart and have Lamar find him roll. Um it just sucks because Andrew's such a big buy and he can go up and get it. You do wish you had someone like that. But again, um, great opportunity for either OBJ to turn a clock back and do stuff like that or Kohler or someone. Like, we do have guys that can 
get open. This is different from like last year. If like if Mark Andrews went down last year, I'd be wearing all black, like tearing my yeah, hair. Yeah, I mean, we'd be we'd be cooked. We'd be cooked. But now, yeah. you know, we have we obviously we have multiple playmakers all over the field. You know, you mentioned Odell. Odell looks like he's been getting back to form. He looks like he's getting healthy. Obviously, he got banged up towards the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, but Harbaugh, Harbaugh said it's not going to be a long term thing. Probably just going to be a, a a pain management. How, how you know how's it going to affect him going forward? But yeah, he's he's played incredibly well. First hundred yard receiving game since like 2021. Uh, looked really good. I was impressed with his ball skills. Obviously, you know, yes. he 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 may lose a step. He may lose some explosivity, but the ball skills and the hands are still there. He's still going to be OBJ in that regard. And that was on full effect uh, or on full display, I should say, last Thursday night. Um, I wanted to show some love again, particularly to Todd Munkin. I thought his yes. game plan on Thursday was yes. incredible. Yes. Obviously, like we mentioned, the first drive, you march right down the field, march right down the field, smack him in the mouth. Gus punches it in for a touchdown. All right. And then, you know, kind of some feeling out. You get a field goal here and there. Middle of the second quarter, Bengals get a touchdown after getting a field goal to go up 10-7. What I loved about it the most was we answered right back. Like the immediate, the immediate drive following that marched right down the field. We should have had a, a 68 yard touchdown from Zay Flowers that got taken off the board because of the the most bullshit holding call I have ever seen in my life. Anyway, neither here nor there. A few plays later, we're moving the ball down the field. The football gods bless us, ball don't lie, whatever you want to call it. Tipped ball falls right into Nelson Aguilar's hands. Aguilar takes it the distance for a touchdown. We go up. And then obviously we get another touchdown at the end of the uh, first half. And we were in business from there. I was, yep. I loved what Todd Munkin did. You and I were texting throughout the game. The biggest thing that stood out to me was from the jump, from the first drive, we used 12 and 21 personnel. We saw Ricard out there a bunch. We saw yep. two tight ends, whether it was Kohler or likely both of whom got some run. Using the big bodies and using the guys like Ricard and like likely and Kohler to help out on the tackles. Whether Ronnie Stanley's in there or not, because we've talked about, you know, Ronnie Stanley struggles sp yeah. sporadically throughout the season. Having him on the outside next to Makari and next to Moses and even that one formation that we saw down on the goal line where we had a tight end off the line inside the tackle and then Makari on the line on the outside. Just Munkin, this one felt like to me where he was like, okay, we can finally start to take the training wheels off a little bit. We right. can kind of, op we can open the, to, to use a Greg Romanism, we can open that vault just a little bit and see kind of what, we, what we've been building to up until this point. And to me, it's just everything that I saw worked. Bateman finally got in the end zone for six. We've been waiting on it. He made a really good play on the ball. Lamar made an excellent throw. Good for him. The second half, we milked the clock. We ran the ball. We threw it when we needed to. Uh, even after Lamar got tweaked, his, his ankle got a little bit banged up. He was surgical in the pocket. He was making yep. the throws that he needed to. We just we had concepts to find holes in zones and zones and middle of the field, outside. Everything was working. I I just Todd Munkin really impressed me this game. We were six for twelve on third downs. We had four hundred and five mm -hmm. total yards of offense, six point eight yards per play. Only gave up three sacks with a banged up O line. This this to me was maybe Todd Munkin's best performance as a Raven. I agree. And one thing I loved about what Todd Munkin did this week is that he stuck with the run even yes. when it was not working early on, because they were stopping the run early on. Like the first half, mm -hmm. it was Bengals can run the ball. We can't, but mm -hmm. they were consistent with it. They say, you know what? We're not going to get past that. We're not going to kill Lamar. He's already like been banged up at the O-line. Let's keep running it. 
pound him, ground him and pound him, and then he eventually is going to break through. And we wore them down in the second half. They didn't have an answer for Gus in the second half. They didn't have an answer for Keaton Mitchell in the second half. Justice mm-hmm. Hill, who had limited touches, still had an impact on the game with his carries as such, just by bouncing it to the outside. You got Keaton Mitchell's like 10 to 12 touches throughout the game, and it worked. And granted, no, that wasn't like a huge home run hit, but he was still consistent and shows that, like, mm-hmm. hey, I can hit singles and doubles too. And in some ways, that's somewhat more valuable at times than hitting a huge home run and just, you know. I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. So I'm very happy with Todd Munkin, especially with the banged-up O-line and how, how he performed. I thought the edges played a little bit better this week than previous weeks. Um, mm-hmm. McCray, you know, McCray had a got beat maybe once or twice, but again, that's going to happen just, you know. Yeah. That's just going to happen sometimes. I yeah, love and, and shout out to Trey Hendrickson, who who yeah. I thought played a pretty good game over there. But yeah, Macari did a good job holding him up. Yeah, he did. He did. They just a great two great athletes going at it there, and it was just a good matchup for both of them. So, um, and Lamar, like you said, looked surgical even despite like the the ankle tweak. Um, I know we all collectively held our breath once he went oh, down. Yeah. You're always like, oh crap, this can't be happening again. Like, this cannot be. Like, this is the same story. Like the. Mm-hmm. I heard all the media posts like, oh, Lamar can't finish the season um, mm-hmm. and all this other stuff, just all that crap. And that went away relatively fast. He came out, ran the ball, which we didn't see him run the ball when he had a great ankle, like usually. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, you're, yeah. And just the way to respond after losing Mark Andrews kind of like not really change your yes. game plan. I'm like, after losing your key players is just extremely important. I want to flip the kudos to a coordinator real quick. And uh, well, I'm sure we'll talk about the offensive production soon, like again, soon. Because they did do a great job, and like we said, they scored a lot of points. I think what I said, 31, 32 points they needed to score, and they did that. So, yep, um, sure did. Yeah, it was just a great, great game plan on that by their end. I want to talk about the defense real quick. Yeah, Granted, please talk about. I know, it. I know Joe Burrow was out, but I know he was out for most of the game. When Joe Burrow was in, besides the running game, they weren't doing a whole lot in the passing game to really impress me. And nope. something I really loved was that Mike McDonald just basically said, okay, we're going to all just crowd this line. And whatever we come out in after that, you're just going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're not going to tip you anything. We're just going to, like, it was just so, like, I know we've done stuff like that before, but I've never noticed that apparently where we just, like, all right, crowd the line that, like, nickels and safeties up. It's like, okay, everyone's playing up. Let's just play some backyard football and see what happens and see if you're tough enough to really get through this and get past this. Um, spoiler alert, it's the Bengals. They're not a tough team. They couldn't get past <laughs> it. Um, and it, it worked out really well. I, we did get gashed in the run game. Um, that did happen. We were getting beat up in the trenches and our linebackers weren't having the best game. But I think that when you're playing a little bit different style, when you're kind of up close, it's harder to kind of recover to sideline to sidelines. And you're mm-hmm. probably not hitting the holes or seeing the holes as well. So I do think that will get corrected. Those are just my thoughts. But I know like the linebackers having a little tough time getting to the edge as usual, but they're also probably a little bit more out of position than normal is what I'm going to give that one to. So, but I thought the defense yeah, played well. One, thing, Hamilton, one yeah. thing about our run stop, one thing about our run stop and our linebackers in particular, Thursday was back-to-back games where Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith both played 100% of the snaps on defense. I think our run defensive struggles, obviously Cleveland was another thing. We just, you know, we talked about that game last week. We just got beat in the trenches yeah. and and Cleveland just bullied us, you know, flat out, really no way around it. But this game, yeah. like, I, I think Joe Mixon is good. 
Um, I don't think, however, the Bengals offensive line is that good where they should be running all over us like they did. I honestly think it's just the fact that we are gassed. Our defense is tired. Yes. We've we've traveled a lot so far this year. We've played a lot of games. Obviously, we were on a short week last week, and, and Roquan and PQ playing 100% of the snaps in both games that were in a five-day span of one another. I think they're just tired. So I, I know it's getting addressed. Harbaugh even said in his media availability, like, we need to be better. We will be better. Like, I'm confident our guys to get it fixed. I'm I'm just up until this point, I'm going to credit our run defensive struggles to being tired and just needing a break. Um, if that shows up again after this week, I think there's definitely more cause for concern. But, uh, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I also agree that, you know, Mike McDonald needs to be getting more love than he's he's gotten so far this season. This game in particular. He was running stunts. He was running games up front. He was doing everything possible to get to the Bengals quarterback. There was one play that I saw earlier today on Twitter where uh, Patrick Queen blitzed on the right side, absolutely cleared out two offensive linemen, and Clowney ran a stunt behind him. I think it was mm -hmm. Clowney. Clowney ran a stunt behind him and ended up getting a pressure. I think he even got a sack on the play too. And it's, it's stuff like that that he's been doing all year that up until – I want to say maybe towards the second half of the season last year, we hadn't seen as much as I loved Wink when he was here. Wink didn't really do that. Wink's style was put a bunch of people on the line. We're going to try and confuse the hell out of you. And we're just going to rush straight at you like that. Wherever yeah. the wherever the pressure was coming from, there was no stunts or, or, or game or anything like that. It was just straight rush. Yeah. So that's one thing that's very refreshing to me about Mike McDonald is he's going to play the game up front. He's going to get creative. He's going to find ways to get his pass rushers at least a somewhat free run at the quarterback. And it's worked. Obviously, we're leading the NFL in sacks. We have a great pass defense so far. Um, speaking of the pass defense, that was another thing that I thought was really masterful that Mike McDonald did Thursday night. He disguised coverage. He rolled safeties over top to help on Jamar Chase for multiple times, which, again, took him out of the game with the help of Brandon Stevens. And obviously, with, with T. Higgins being out, that was massive. Not having that electric number two on the other side of Jamar Chase, it really forced other guys like Tyler Boyd and Trent Irwin to win and say what you want about those guys. I trust our defense to win those matchups more often than not. And we really did. So yeah, I'm glad you brought up Mike McDonald. He played really well. Uh, the last two guys that I wanted to mention on this game that I think deserve some attention, the running backs, Gus Edwards and Keaton Mitchell, yep. Keaton Mitchell, I, I, I'm really impressed and, and pleased with Harbaugh and the game plan from him and Munkin saying that you're going to get him more involved and actually getting him involved. As simple as that sounds, we could have used him last week. Um, and I think they realized that. So getting him nine touches in the game, he caught one pass and he ran the ball eight times. Like you said, there was no home run there. And you can't expect that every week out of a guy, let alone right. a rookie, but getting him the ball, like you said, hitting singles and doubles, not just home runs throwing him the ball out of the backfield, having him in the backfield next to Lamar when you run options, giving mm -hmm. you two serious home run threats every time the ball's in their hands, like that that does something to a defense. They have to account for the home run hit ability from both people that could potentially be carrying the ball. And obviously, like we've said time and time, Keaton Mitchell didn't hit a home run this game, but it was the the potential was there. The 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 concept, the play, the design, it was all there. And it just, you know, it didn't happen. But that's not to say it won't happen in the future. I was just personally glad that we saw Keaton Mitchell get more opportunities. And he I thought he did well with those opportunities. There was one play where he made a really nice cutback at the line 
It was like an mm-hmm. inside zone concept, and he cut back. And if he doesn't slip, he's probably still running. So right. I, I think he's going to be slowly getting more and more opportunities. I think even uh, Harbaugh said today that he's earned more carries. He's earned more touches. So we're definitely going to be seeing more Keaton Mitchell come uh, the next few weeks. And then Gus Edwards. Uh, I think we just need to take a moment and appreciate Gus Edwards. I know people are calling him a goal line merchant or whatever. He's running the ball extremely well. He's leading the mm-hmm. he's leading the uh, he's leading the team in touchdowns. I want to say he's like top five in the league in touchdowns. Um, Gus Edwards just doesn't get enough credit for how he plays football. Carried the ball twelve times, sixty-two yards. Obviously, had another two touchdowns. I want to say in his career, he averages over five yards a carry. Um, and he's been in the league for like four years now, which is saying something. Yeah. Yeah. Gus Edwards is just a really, really quality running back. And I don't feel like he gets the credit he deserves and is talked about in the echelon of really good running backs. But he, I think he deserves to be because he is just an excellent running back. No, he's great. Um, and I know people were crying like, oh, he's a goal line hog or all oh, he's just a goal line back. I don't I don't care. He's getting the ball in the end zone. Remember, like, right. you know, five weeks ago when we were asking the problem, Tennessee, why aren't we putting the ball in the end zone? Why are we selling for threes? Well, Gus, Gus Edwards is the answer to that question. You don't need threes when you have mm-hmm. him and just run the ball. I would have loved to give him a ball last year during an important playoff game, you know, instead of trying to yep. sneak. Uh, you know, again, I don't care as long as you get the ball in the end zone. I don't care who's doing it. Just get the ball in the end zone and, like, win games. Um Exactly. Yeah, it, yeah. Give it to the guy that's averaging five yards to carry. You know, when you need four yards. Just, just you know, simple math right there. Yeah, Gus Edwards played amazing. Um, you know, we talked about Key Mitchell a lot already. I talked about Justice Hill a little bit. Lamar was good. Zay Flowers had a great game again. Um, OBJ popped off. Nelly was there, so and did his thing. So mm-hmm. all around, probably one of the most complete offensive performances we've seen from the Ravens. Um, I, I absolutely agree. Game, the Seattle game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and to kind of just hammer that point home, you and I talked about it last week in my keys to victory. I said I wanted to see the offense just a little bit more balanced as far as run and pass go. And I wanted to see shot plays that Bengals defense was open as far as deep shots go. And Todd Munkin, going back to my point about him, wasn't afraid to take him. He took a couple big swings early on in the game. Obviously, uh, Lamar, Lamar missed. It was either Odell or Zay on a deep ball overthrew him just a little bit. And then he had a actually I thought it was a really well placed ball to Bateman down the far sideline, and whoever the corner was that was covering him just yes. made a really good play to break it up. But yes, regardless, they were taking shots, and that tells me like Todd Munkin and Lamar sat down and they were like, "Hey, let's dial a few up. This is a this is a, a weak secondary. There are areas to attack them here. Let's go ahead and take some shots." And they did it. And, and, you know, like we said, they hit on one. I think the, the one to Odell in the fourth quarter or third quarter was like a 50 yeah. yard game. So yep. it's there. And Lamar has the capability of doing it. It just needs to be more consistent. But everything else about Lamar's game has been extremely consistent to this point. So shout out to those guys. And then the last point that I wanted to make on this game before we move ahead is the fact that this was legit a home field advantage. Like you could yes. feel you could feel the effect on the game that the bank had through the TV. I'm, I knew a bunch of people that were there, Josh, I'm sure you did as well. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone that I talked to said, I've never heard the bank like that, or I've never felt it that crazy. You know, people just talking about how, how it erupted 
right? And and they were an aspect of the game that the Bengals had to deal with. Joe Burrow blew two timeouts in the first yeah. five minutes of the game because oh, he couldn't get played. Oh, let's talk about that real quick. Yeah, it was like he's never played with those guys before, and he's usually like you know cool, calm, cool, and collected. He had to burn yeah. two timeouts that could have been critical for that like early, like that whole first half because yeah, they the couldn't get half. set. Like not even just regular false starts or anything. The team could not get set. That means that they didn't know to play in the huddle. That means the first 15 seconds of 35, 40-second play clock, the bank was just that loud where they could not communicate at all. Like, you saw him doing, like, the whole, like, covering mm-hmm. his ears so he could get to play in, and absolutely nothing. MT Bank Stadium is one of the best. I think it's the most underrated stadium in the NFL as far as just atmospheres. I don't think, like, people talk about it a lot. I know people talk about the Kansas City games on right now. People talk about that crowd or Philly or mm-hmm. Seattle, whatever. I put the bank right up there, like oh yeah, as far as rowdiness and just when it's going, it is absolutely going. You know, it's also a night game. Ravens fans blackout too. Blackout game. Like there's nothing that Ravens fans love more than like being at a home game and wearing black, all black. It is like for sure. It is just a back signal for like the <laughs> lunatics to come out and just go absolutely crazy. We know that stadium was rocking. We saw some of the videos and stuff that came out. Oh, so we'll yeah. talk about that later. You got fans dancing in <laughs> halftime. The big boy. But um, listen, MC Bank Stadium is the best place to be around this time of year. Um, hopefully we can keep that going. I know we got another couple. Wait, no, is that our only primetime night game this year at home? It's it's the only home primetime game, which really sucks. Dang it, NFL. You're screwing us over. Like, why play a game in Jacksonville at night? We can come to Baltimore and actually have fans show up nine to swing pool. Like, I'm I'm kind of hoping that the Ravens Dolphins game gets flexed into a primetime spot because that would be a really good one. Oh, listen, I I am as of now I'm scheduled to work during that game. I yeah, I have to work. <laughs> what is that? I I'm going to be watching. I don't think this is a big secret. I'm going to be watching that game on my laptop. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I'm leaving at halftime when I'm off work to go finish the game. Like oh yeah, you have to. It's just it, we have a game that day. Liberty plays University of Tennessee women's basketball, which is like a huge deal to know anything about women's basketball. They're coming oh, to Lynchburg yeah. for some reason, like New Year's Eve. So Man, I'm expecting that'll, actually be, that'll be kind of sick. Exactly. So I can't be too mad about it because it is a huge game and it's like a really right. cool like program and a big name uh, coming here. But um, shoot, as of shoot, we don't even know. Maybe it'll be a New Year's Six Bowl. I have no idea what's gonna happen. But <laughs> yeah, true. I, I have no idea what's going to happen, but uh, we'll see what happens. I wish I was there at the bank on New Year's Eve, but, um, you know, we'll I'll settle for a night game that night. For sure, yeah, I'll true. definitely settle for a night game that night. Or maybe that Raven steelers game get flexed on January 7th. That would be a good one, too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, man, I it, this was a really good win for the Ravens. It was one that I know you and I both wanted to have. Um, it, it, to me, it just ultimately boils down to they, they needed to take care of business, and they did. I tweeted it on either Wednesday or Thursday that, you know, the winner coming out of that game will kind of elevate themselves as somebody who should be taken for real down the stretch. And yep. the other is just a pretender. The other is a fraud. And I, I think that more or less proved to be the case. Obviously, you know, we talked about Joe not being out there. Say what you want. And Jermaine Pratt has, but the Ravens took care of business and it, it, without Joe on the field, that's the win that you should have. So right. I, I think this is personally a game that we can point to and say, Hey, look, we faced some adversity early on. Obviously we lost Andrews. We got smacked in the mouth. We were trailing for a little bit there in the game, but we answered and we came back and we took care of business. We did what we needed to do. We beat a divisional opponent at home on a short week while we were banged up. And you know, now we go right now we go. Uh, So 
like I said, that that was really all I had on the game. Josh, if you have any, if you have any final thoughts, go ahead and let yeah, us know. Yeah, I, I didn't really talk about the Burrow injury yet. I'm not going to say a whole lot on it because, you know, you never want anyone to get injured. But I'm going to yeah. quote our least favorite quarterback to ever walk the face of the earth, Ben Roethlisberger, and just say AFC North football. <laughs> um, that game is just – that's unfortunately, that is the cost of AFC North football. People, unfortunately, get hurt when you play the Ravens. I don't like to see injuries at all. I, I mean, that's someone's health, you know, that's money. Like, you know, that's, that's a tough thing. You never see people get injured. However, I'm not going to act like our team doesn't benefit, like our team didn't benefit from an injury. I'm not going to act like the other teams won't benefit from an injury. Shoot, how many times have we played teams throughout the last couple of years, especially where we weren't as especially bad? The Bengals. Especially the Bengals. And did they apologize when they play, you know, plumbers and, you know, bus drivers and, no, you know, definitely you, not. absolutely not. They, uh, Joe Burrow threw for 500 yards. We had listened to people below him for like the last two weeks, about the next two weeks after that, about how he's the best quarterback ever. Um, mm-hmm. Games matter. People matter. Unfortunately, people end up getting hurt at times. Again, I wish him a speedy recovery, but I'm not going to apologize for winning against, you know, a non fully stacked team. It's football. No one's healthy. Um, yeah. So, again, I'm not apologizing for wins. I don't root for injuries, but things happen. It's AFC North football. And honestly, right. I, I don't hate having a defense with a reputation for knocking out your best player legally. Legally. Right. Yeah, within the bounds of the game, for sure. Yeah, right. look, like, you you said it last week. We wanted to be the Baltimore bullies again, and that's exactly what we did. I love that Roquan has kind of embodied that villain mentality. It's something that I think we've been missing really since 52 left. Yeah. Um, and 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 yeah, you know, like that it's a physical game. And when you play a physical defense, stuff like that's gonna happen, as unfortunate as it is. Yeah, I remember, I think we were watching, I, I remember watching clips about this before, but in the 2000s when we played the Bengals, I think Ray Lewis or our defense hit Corey Dillon so hard, he did not want to get back on the field. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm okay with bringing that mentality back. Like, I don't want people oh, yeah. to play us. I want people to be as miserable as possible when they play against our defense. I, I want people, like, I want people to feel it. Like, I want them iced up, as Steve Smith would say, after the game. So, if that's the reputation our defense has, then so be it. Like, So be it. Exactly. So be it. Yeah. Well, anyway, just to kind of put a pin in uh, in the Bengals game, 34-20 win, big win, a win that we absolutely needed. Now we have a little bit of a mini buy before our next game, which is huge considering we have, uh, I believe we have another week before our actual buy. So this upcoming week, week 12, the Ravens are going to L.A. playing the Chargers on Sunday night football. Ravens are a four point favorite over under sitting at 46 and a half. Um, the headlines coming into this game, we talked about the Ravens, obviously. For the Chargers, I feel like it's a, a lot of internal stuff. Um, obviously, there was the they lost to the Packers this week. And there was that clip from the post-game press conference where Brandon Staley was just basically lighting up the reporter about, you know, asking him who's gonna play or who's gonna call the plays on defense. And he's not very happy. I think he's pretty frustrated with that team, as he probably should be. That team is better on paper, or at least everybody talks about them being pretty good for having a four and six record or something right now. Um, another big, uh, big piece of news coming out of that game. Joey Bosa got hurt. Um, he had to get carted off, I believe in the first quarter, which you never want to see. Um, I believe today they said he avoided a major injury, but he's still going to go on IR. So he'll be out for our game. And then three after that, at least. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really it. As far as headline goes injuries, like I said, Joey Bosa probably going to be out, uh, Gerald Everett, their tight end, he didn't practice all week and he missed the game against the Packers. Outside of that, they really don't have a ton of injuries. Um, 
Mike Williams obviously is done for the season. But for the most part, they are they're they're pretty healthy. And then looking at us, obviously Harbaugh said last week that Ronnie Stanley and Marlon Humphrey were day to day, week to week, whatever that means. He said something about Marlon Humphrey potentially playing this week, which I think would be huge for us. Even if he gets, you know, 30% of the snaps on defense and he can at least be out there to help in some zone coverages and whatnot. I think that would be really impactful for us. Um, Ronnie Stanley, I think, is probably less likely to go. I I don't want to say I have a source, but I talked to a potential source who said Ronnie's injury is a reaggravation of the MCL that he's been dealing with. So if I were to guess, I'd say Ronnie's probably going to be out another two to three weeks. That's just my guess. I like it. me putting my prediction hat on. Um, and then, you know, like I said, obviously, we don't have an injury report to go off today, but I'm interested to see what o- Odell's schedule is like this week. I have a feeling he's probably not going to practice on Wednesday, maybe limited throughout the rest of the week, and they just do whatever they can to get him to Sunday. I think we need Odell out there this week, um, especially with Andrews out. We need just the name of Odell Beckham, the presence of Odell Beckham out on the field. Even if he doesn't get a ton of targets, he just needs to be out there taking up space and maybe win a one-on-one here and there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we definitely need him out, out there on the field. Josh, before we go into the matchups, how do you feel just kind of looking at this game from where we sit? How do you feel going into this game about the teams, about the matchup? What do you what are you thinking here? I think that I, I just don't know what the Chargers are, honestly. I don't know if they're good. I don't know if they're bad. My gut tells me they're not great. I just hope this is a game where the Ravens play down to competition like they usually mm-hmm. can. I don't think they will. Here's why: primetime game, Ravens have to show up at primetime, and like when Harbaugh's like has a really good record against primetime games. And I think that Lamar is going to come out with a chip on his shoulder for this game because mm-hmm. I think I don't think Lamar really cares about the media, just competitive nature. You hear people talk about Herbert all offseason, how great he is. He's a he's a good quarterback. I don't want to take away from him at all. But, like, why is this dude who hasn't won anything at all, hasn't really achieved anything at all in his career, and, like, by all means, is just a scenario king on Twitter at times. I think, like, someone called him a social media quarterback, which I think he's better than a social media quarterback. I agree. But you're going to give him the crown of, like, oh, my gosh, he's up there with Mahomes. He's up there with Burrow. And I think, like, Lamar's like, hey, what about me? I'm, I've been doing this for longer. I've had a better record. I've had playoff success. I've done all these different things. I'm on a unanimous MVP. Mm-hmm. And he's not getting talked like that or no one's questioning if he's worth the money or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, all those things, I think kind of played so factor of like, I think our office is going to explode this week. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we score another 30 points. It's just, honestly, I just, I, again, I don't know a whole lot about the Chargers defense or the Chargers team. I know Khalil Mack is still very good, but he's not what he used yep. to be. Still very good though. I didn't know Bosa was out. So that's a huge mm-hmm. benefit for us. I think our offense is going to explode this week. I expect guys like Zay Flowers have a really big game this week. Um, I expect Mario to be surgical as always. I expect us to run all over them as well. So I would see Gus and Mitchell have great weeks this week. I like you think that Odell needs to be in there just for a name. See, even if it just, just runs around, takes double coverages or whatever, I would rather have that so you can open up guys like Bateman, Likely, Kohler, and Zay rather than not okay. have them. Um, and – Again, uh, my only thing is I don't want to get into a I don't want to get into a huge lead for this game and we end up blowing because this team can throw the ball very well and they can pass the lights out. So I think this game plan is similar to what you did for uh, Cincinnati. It's just 
get it to an early lead, run the ball, and like kill clock and keep their offense off the field so they can't get in rhythm and make sure your defense doesn't get tired. You don't want this game to go to a track meet at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want this game to go to a track meet. And I think you would get off the field on third and fourth down. You definitely want to get off the field on third and fourth downs, especially 100%. early on. I think Staley is their coach, right? One of my friends, Staley. Yep. I feel like he's oddly aggressive in weird moments of the game. So if he goes for a fourth and two on like the second quarter, just get off the field. And on his own, like 35. Yeah, just get off the field and you'll be fine. <laughs> and yet he won't do it in the fourth quarter. I don't know. I would say like, I don't want to like Ravens this game and blow 14 or a double digit point lead. But I also feel like the Chargers could easily like Chargers this up and also blow it in some way, shape or form. So I guess my big thing is do what you, do your thing, do your job basically really well, execute, limit the mistakes, just play good complimentary football and mm-hmm. wait for the char- Chargers. If you need, hopefully won't need to get to that because I think at our best we dominate them and we don't really let them get a whole lot out of this game. Like they may have some like backdoor stuff come happen, but I don't, if we get an early lead, I just, just don't blow it basically, play sound defense and we'll be fine. Yeah, the way that I kind of look at this game is is a lot similar to how I looked at the Tennessee game a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. Obviously, different circumstances playing in London and whatnot. But and I also think that the Chargers' offense is is better than the the Titans' offense. Yes. Um, but as far as defensively goes, I think there are there are a lot of similarities between the two. I'm going to get into my numbers here in a second, but just kind of like from a thirty thousand foot view, the Chargers struggle against the pass. Uh, I'm going to get into it here, like I said, but they're they're dead last in the league in passing defense. Not good. They're decent against the run, which is very similar to how the Titans defense was. The Titans defense was decent against the run, bad against the pass. Mm-hmm. And we saw the game plan against the Titans, right? Like we complimented the pass with the run and we just did everything really well. So that's kind of how I'm looking at this game. I feel like there's a lot of similarities between those two teams, Tennessee and the Chargers, I mean. Um, so I have, I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of similarities to our game plan on both sides of the ball. Obviously, like we said, not having Andrews in there is certainly going to make a big difference. But there are guys that I'm expecting to pop off this game. Zay Flowers being the, the, the biggest of them all. I think Zay Flowers, I'm just going to call this right now. Zay Flowers is getting in the end zone this game. Yeah. Yeah. For, obviously, Josh, we all know you. We know you can't bet. So this is just my my stupid brain here. Um, I don't know what the odds are of, on Zay Flowers to get in the end zone. But my my bold prediction this game, Zay Flowers is getting in the end zone. Should have had one last week. Football gods took it away from him. He's getting in the end zone this week. And also, a little bit of a revenge piece there. Quentin Johnston was drafted by the Chargers one pick before Zay Flowers was drafted by the Ravens. I'm not going to say anything poor about Quentin Johnston. I think he's a fine receiver. That all being said, I think Zay Flowers is just objectively having a much better season. Um, I would not be surprised if they try to get the ball in Zay's hands, whether he should or not when we get close to the goal line, maybe inside the red zone, we hit him with a bubble screen, maybe a slant, maybe a concept to get him in the back corner of the end zone, something. Nevertheless, that's my bold prediction. I think Zay's going to have a really good game. I think he's getting in the end zone. As far as the matchups go, we'll go ahead and dive right into it. First, let's look at our offense versus the Chargers defense. Going back to the well, the Ravens are still number one in the league in rush yards per game. They're averaging 155. They're second in yards per carry at 4.8. They are 20th in pass yards per game to 11.5 and fourth in yards per pass. So obviously, as the story has been really for all of Lamar's tenure as a starter here, 
We don't throw the ball a ton, but this year especially, we're moving the ball down the field through the air. We talked about Todd Munkin taking shots last week, and he did. We're being efficient with the football. We're getting yards after the catch, and when Lamar needs to, he's delivering balls of 10 yards or more, and he's doing so very well. So that's how our offense shakes out. The Chargers' defense, they're 12th in the league in yards per rush allowed. They're averaging 102, so decent, top third or fourth in the league, right? 13th in yards per rush. They're averaging exactly four yards per carry. 32nd in pass yards. As I mentioned, they are dead last in the league in pass yards per game. They are giving up 291.6 yards through the air per game. That's insane. Yeah. (laughs) They are 31st in yards per pass against. The only team that is worse than them in the NFL is the Cincinnati Bengals. The Chargers are averaging seven and a half points per uh, pass play given up. So right off the bat, like I said, a lot of similarities, in my opinion, to the Tennessee game. There are areas to exploit their secondary. Going to have to obviously be efficient, run the ball, and not abandon that part of your game. But you're going to have to use that to open up play action and throw the ball down the field. On the flip side, Chargers offense versus the Ravens defense. The Chargers are 17th in the league in rushing yards per game, averaging about 105. They are 18th in yards per rush, 4.1 on average. Ninth in pass yards per game, averaging 248.5. And ninth in yards per pass, 7.4. So like you said, Josh, we know what they're capable of. Herbert, I I agree. I think Herbert is a very talented quarterback. I think he's very good. Um, We know what he's capable of. He can air it out if you give him opportunities to. But looking on the other side of the ball, right? The Ravens are 13th in yards, uh, rush yards per game, 21st in yards per rush. We've talked about that. As far as the pass game goes, we are still one of the best teams in the league. Third in pass yards per game allowed. We are averaging 169.7 given up. And we're first in yards per pass. 4.6 we're giving up on average. And that is, I'm pretty sure, somewhat significant. I think the next closest team is like six yards per pass or something. So, while Herbert is good, while their offense definitely has the capability of popping, our defense has equal capability of stopping it. So rolling that right into my keys to victory, the first one, this one's pretty obvious. Get to Herbert early and often and get him on the ground. The Ravens are the number one sacking team in the NFL. The Chargers are tied for eighth in sacks allowed, so they're pretty good at keeping Herbert upright. They're averaging just over two sacks per game. The Ravens on top of leading the league in sacks leading in sacks per game as well. They're number one, averaging four sacks a game. I think we had five against the the Bengals this past week. You have to pressure Justin Herbert. You have to force him to get the ball out early and not take that shot play. If you're able to keep the lid on this offense, I personally don't think they're a very good running team. I think Eckler is fine. I think Joshua Kelly is fine. Um, As far as running the ball goes, this should not be a game where we have to worry about the Chargers running all over us. I, I just I don't I don't foresee that happening. Um, and if it does, I think we have a bigger problem on our hands, kind of like I mentioned earlier. But anyway, I'll take a step back. Keenan Allen, Quentin Johnson, they both have the ability to take the top off of a defense. You have to keep that lid on. And the best way to do that is to get to Herbert quickly and get him to either get the ball out or get him on the ground. My second key to victory goes back to what I just mentioned. You have to stop the run. This cannot be a game where Austin Eckler runs for 100 yards on you, right? Like it just can't. You have to stop the run. The Ravens have struggled the last couple of weeks with against the run. I just, like I said earlier, 
think it's just because they're tired. I think this 10-day break or eight-day break, whatever it is, is going to be beneficial to them, get a chance to have the guys off their feet, be rested. You have to stop the run. You just you just have to stop the run. Third key to victory is you have to have explosive plays on offense and limit the explosive plays on defense. We talked about the defensive side of, uh, of it already. Looking at the offensive side of the ball. I mentioned it about the Chargers defense. They are dead last in pass yards per game. Jordan Love this past week, who I think is very capable, and I think he has a lot of potential. Jordan Love against this Packers defense last week, 27 of 40, 322 yards, two touchdowns and zero interceptions. Like I said, I think Jordan Jordan Love is very promising. Lamar Jackson is just a flat-out quarterback than Jordan Love. I don't think there's any debate in that. Right. I'm not saying Lamar's got to throw for 400 yards and throw the ball 45 times, but if Lamar can be efficient, maybe, you know, maybe we're looking at a 25 for 33 game with 250 yards, something along those lines. I think that puts you in an excellent position to win this game handedly. Um, I kind of like last week, I would love to see some shot plays taken, whether it's say flowers, whether it's Rashad Bateman, hell, let Duvernay run one, right? Like Duvernay yeah. can run past people. Use him yeah. in the pass game. I, I wouldn't hate it. Nevertheless, yeah. I think I think similar to last week, we have to at least have those swings where we're reminding the Chargers defense, hey, we can air this out too, because that'll force their safeties to take steps back. It'll have that in the back of their heads, and that'll open up the underneath part of the field, and especially in between the numbers. So explosive plays, like I said, keep an eye out for Zay Flowers. I think Isaiah likely is going to get a good amount of run in the pass game, particularly. Um, and my last key to victory is you have to neutralize their defensive front. We talked about Bosa being out already. That's a huge loss for them. Khalil Mack, while I agree with what you said earlier, he's not what he used to be. I think he's still very good. Yes. I think he is still a force to be reckoned with. So I personally, for the love of God, want to see a ton of 12 and 21 personnel use Pat Ricard, use Charlie yeah. Kohler, use Isaiah likely help out on the, on the tackles and do not let this pass rush get home. They are fourth in sacks per game. They're averaging three and a half sacks per game. This team is this defense. As far as their front goes, at least is good. They have players. Linval Joseph, obviously Khalil Mack. They have some guys up front. You cannot let them rush up. You have to get a push. You have to run the ball on them, and you cannot let them get to your quarterback. You just can't do it. If you do that, you let Lamar have time in the pocket. We knows we know what he can do with a clean pocket, with time, with the patience to let plays develop. If you do that, like I said, I think you put yourself in the driver's seat to have your hands all over this game as far as the control goes. Those are my keys of victory, Josh. I know I, <laughs> I just threw a lot out out there, but after hearing all that, what do you think? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. We got it. I think we got to limit the explosive plays. So that's what's going to kill us on this team because that's what the Chargers do. I don't mm -hmm. trust the Chargers to have a good sustaining drive. I simply don't. Um, I, I just don't trust them. And for defense, again, give Lamar time. Like you said, give Lamar time and pick them apart. Pick them apart in the zone. Pick them apart. This defense is struggling. The coach is like – having aneurysms and press conferences because <laughs> they don't know what's going to happen, who's calling plays, whatever. Like, they, this team's not not complete. Um, you are a complete team. Go prove that you're a complete team. Take care of business after a long week and get into the bye. I think that I still want to see a balanced attack, but I'd like to see us air it out a little bit, just kind of test and see what happens. 
I do think we win better when we do have a balanced attack. And the only reason I say that is because, one, it's just what we do. I think we're just more complete football team that way. And two, that pass rush that can get home on a quarterback, I think it's a, what, uh, fourth in league in sacks. Mm-hmm. Hard to get sacks when you're running the ball and using that misdirection and just, like, you know, a lot of read options and stuff like that. Also, when I hate seeing a lot of play action as well, especially after you establish your own game, maybe give Lamar even more time to get guys, that guys get open. Um, the edges need to do their job just because I think that if they do their job, Lamar can bounce outside and even extend some plays that way. Um, I'm pretty confident in the middle to kind of do their job. Um, just like open up a gaps if they need to be one or protect them in the middle and we'll be good to go. Yeah, outside of a couple outside of a couple holding penalties, John Simpson has been really good all year. Last week probably wasn't his best game, but Linderbaum right. still continues to be one of the best centers in the league. And obviously Kevin Zeitler is Kevin Zeitler. So yeah, is I agree that? with you. To me, yeah. To me, it's really all about just getting help on the edge when it's needed. And that's why I see a lot of not a lot, but I have a feeling that we're going to use Ricard more. Same thing with either of the tight ends. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's 12 personnel instead of 21 more often than not, but either way. Just use those big bodies on uh, to help on the outside. That's that's really what I want to see. Yeah, I I think the Ravens can win this game. I expect our offense to have a really great showing, and honestly, just win this game when it comes to really go into the bye, like mm-hmm. and um, yeah, take Dubai care of business and take care of business. I wouldn't be. I don't want to say this is going to be a blowout. I actually know this is the Ravens. There's never a blowout. Um, <laughs> right, exactly. This is the Ravens we're talking about. Never a blowout. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Lamar have a huge game and to, like, not take his foot off the gas, but not have to be as aggressive as, like, they need to be in the past. I can see this going, like you said, like the Titans game or even, like, the Lions or Seahawks game. Mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping it's going to go that way over, like, the Browns game or, like, the Colts right. game or some weird, weird stuff happens. So, We'll see what happens. Uh, I, I mean, I think the Ravens can win. Uh, if we don't, mm-hmm. it's good because we make a lot of mistakes and we don't want to do that at all. So, yeah, I think I think the only way you lose this game is if you beat yourself, which obviously the Ravens are very capable of doing. Um, yes. But, you know, th- this is a game where you just have to you go in there, you take care of business and you come home, enjoy the bye. That's really all it comes down to. Yep, I agree. All right. So that about wraps it up on the Ravens. Josh, let's talk a little bit of college football before we go ahead and get out of here for a holiday week. Yeah, let's um, do it. Week 12 was not super filled with a bunch of great games, but there were a few good ones out there. Um, you called it on the show last week. App State pulled off the upset in JMU, man. That was a really good game. Um, I personally didn't expect it. I thought JMU was going to run away. I just thought the vibe with game day being there and all the talk about, you know, NCAA, let them get in a bowl. Yeah. I thought they were going to show up and win that game. And App State, credit to them because they just, I mean, they held them when they needed to and they ended up winning the game. So that was a good yeah. game. Washington and Oregon State was another phenomenal game. Yeah. Michael Penix just continues to be surgical and continues to win and continues to cement what should be a playoff year for the Washington Huskies. Um, and then not necessarily a, a game that I paid a lot of attention to, but I saw it after the fact. I love that LSU is just doing everything possible to get Jaden Daniels the Heisman. Like <laughs> they're letting, yeah. they're letting him throw the ball a ton. I think he had over 500 yards on, on Saturday night. Like LSU is probably not going to be in the playoff or definitely not going to be in the playoff. They're probably not going to be in any big time bowl games, but they're like, hey, we got a quarterback who's pretty good. He's really talented. Let's just showcase him and try to get him that Heisman. And I love that stuff. I think that's really cool. They're, they're, you know, they're trying to get him into that. So 
he had a really good game Saturday, but um, I think the biggest thing coming out of college football last week was the kind of settling of the Jim Harbaugh sign stealing scandal. Um, so obviously the news was that him and the University of Michigan are accepting the three game suspension. Yeah. I don't really know what to make of that. I think that was just them kind of being like, hey, let's just put this thing to bed. We know we're probably going to be in the playoff. So, you know, let's just let's get the suspension over with and we'll take it from there. But I don't I also think it might be sort of an admission of guilt to a degree where Harbaugh is saying, you know. If this is how you're going to punish me, slap me on the wrist. Obviously, I can't coach the Ohio State game, but this team is still very good and blah, 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 yeah. whatever. I don't know. What do you make of that whole situation and, and the verdict that came down last week? I I'm not as tapped into it as like others are. I know enough about it. I, I mean, I don't really understand why the conference did what they did. I guess to have yeah. the NCAA avoid doing something, but I don't think the NCAA was going to move that fast. So in my mind, why punish yourself when like, mm-hmm. why punish yourself when you may like not need to right now and you can right. have like a lighter punishment, like next season or whatever. Um, if Harbaugh's there next season, I don't know. The whole thing just seemed kind of weird to me. I don't, I don't know what Harbaugh knew, if he knew anything. Um, all of it just seems kind of weird and just the way it went down. And I think everyone just kind of wants this just to go away at this point. So why yeah. not just take the, take the slap on the wrist? Hopefully if you're a Michigan fan, hopefully you win this weekend and all's fair and nothing like nothing, um, nothing goes wrong. You can just relax or whatever. Um, however, Michigan could have and should have lost this weekend if Tua, little Tua plays. If Talia plays a little bit better, <laughs> and you know we don't shoot ourselves in the foot, it's fine. It's just the Maryland football way of playing, <laughs> blowing games, whatever. Um, anyway, I uh, I'm excited for this. Uh, I'm excited for the game this Saturday. Um, yeah, I I mean this is always one that I have circled on my calendar, even before in years past where I haven't been super tapped into college football. This is definitely one that I always pay attention to. Um, Guys that have played in this rivalry say it means more than a playoff game or a national championship game. Like this game is just so deeply rooted in both of these programs. Um, that's kind of why I was really upset that they made it three games instead of two. Like let let Harbaugh yeah. let him serve the suspension before this game. Like if he doesn't coach Maryland and he doesn't coach against Penn State, like those are those are two Big Ten games. And Maryland, for whatever reason, always plays Michigan tightly. Yeah. Um and obviously Penn state is pretty much the unanimous number three team in the big 10 East. So right. for him not being there, like I think that opens the door for them to at least potentially lose. Right. Like, which right. is, I think a, a big enough punishment there, but my biggest thing was, and I was trying to follow it as much as possible. My biggest thing was like, kind of like you said, let the NCAA handle it. Like that's what they're there for. Obviously, you know, nothing would have came down this year just because of how the NCAA works. But now not only are you taking it out of the NCAA's hands and and putting it into your own Tony Batiti and the Big Ten, they're like they're setting a precedent. So God right. forbid something else happens in the middle of the year that requires an NCAA investigation. Now the Big Ten has to step in and be like, oh, well, we did this a couple of years ago to Jim Harbaugh. So regardless of who it is, right, whether it's like Kirk Ferentz or Brett Bielma or like literally whoever, yeah. they have to step in and be like, oh, well, we suspended Michigan. So we're going to suspend you as well without the NCAA running a proper investigation. That's kind of where I was just like, this makes no sense. Right. Like, you know, the, the big 10 really shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Why is the conference 
dishing out punishments to their own team when it's the NCAA's like exactly rules that they've broken. Exactly, and I, like something just seems to take it one step. Yeah, and to take it one step further, like I don't see the SEC doing this. Like I don't see Greg Sankey. If like you know, if if Alabama was accused of sign stealing, I don't see them levying a penalty on Nick Saban during the middle of the year, or not even just Alabama, any team for that matter, Kirby Smart right. or you know Dan Mullen, whoever it is, right? Yeah, like I don't see any other conference like that, doing yeah. this. Yeah, I don't see any other conference doing this. The Big Ten is just notorious for making very strange decisions, and we talked about it a couple of years ago with the whole COVID thing, right? Deciding not to play, and then and Greg Sankey and the SEC were like, oh no, we're gonna play. And then the Big Ten had to walk it back, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, I guess we'll play now. Like, Yeah. Just like Very weird decision-making out of the Big Ten. But anyway, to be I, uh, I'm you, very excited yeah. for that game this week. I am, too. To be as good as you are and, like, a moneymaker of a conference for the Big Ten, you don't – like, don't be afraid to, like, throw your weight around. Like, you are the second yeah. biggest conference in the NCAA. You yeah. have contributed to, to the downfall of the Pac-12 conference. To the, mm-hmm. You've contributed to this beast that we have in college football and this whole mess that we have in this ever-changing world of college football. Act like it. Don't shy away from it. Act all innocent about stuff. Like, if you want to be the villain, be the villain. If you want to be the big hero, be the big hero. The SEC has no problem doing that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I get the big time wants to be, like, this, like, this innovative, like, oh, we are not only, like, great in, like, you know, sports. We're great at academics. We're great all year round. We have the Hearst Network to have our, like, TV deal and TV rights and all that stuff. Okay, well, like, act like a leader. Like, the Michigan Vice like, act like the leader's in the best. Act like the leader's in the best and just, like, have some pride in what you are. And, like, mm-hmm. if you want to be a bully or be the bad guy, then be the bully or be the bad guy. No one, no one's going to love you or hate you anymore for just being honest with what you are. In fact, people like, may like you even more. We know what the SEC is by nature. Like, a money-grabbing football conference that's good at everything. Like, football is their driver, but they're good at everything else as well. Be that yeah, exactly. If you need to be. Like you're the one that drove the media deals up for CBS, Fox, uh, NBC. Own it. Like just own what you are and don't be like fake or like try to be an elitist about it. So yeah, that's just my my thing with the Big Ten. Um, but back to the football. Yeah, this game's something I'm looking forward to. Uh, not my favorite rivalry in college football. In fact, one that I said throughout our lifetime, I thought was a little bit overrated at times because I could I could think of a lot of like. Ohio State Michigan that I really cared about watching besides a handful of them. Um right. mostly because mostly because Ohio State dominated for so many years. Um yeah, but true. with that being said, both teams are undefeated games in the big house. The conference through Jim Harbaugh, Ryan Day being the comment about Ryan Day being born our third a couple years ago and having been able to do a whole lot <laughs> with what he has. I um I'm a little biased because I have I've made friends with work at Michigan again. I, I, I have like just ties to the University of Michigan in their athletic department. And mm-hmm. I really liked them a lot. Um, and their athletic director seemed pretty chill uh, when I've like seen him speak or whatever. So I will be pulling for the maize and blue this game just because I, I want hardball to win for the most part. And I, I mean, I like the people in the athletic department. They've been cool with me. So I want them to have success. So yeah. I'll be singing go blue basically Saturday. I'm okay with Ohio State getting taken down the peg. Um, I actually do think Michigan will win. I think that I've seen enough of each team to know that Michigan's the more complete team, and I trust their quarterback play and their all-around just defense over Ohio State. I think Michigan's going to run the ball effectively this game, and I wouldn't be surprised if they run them out in the big house like they did a couple years ago. I think that this is like 
I think this is just a problem for Ohio State. They just don't have the guys in the interior to really get things done. I, I agree with you, man. I think Ohio State's defense is very good. And what I saw mainly when they played Notre Dame is that they are very talented on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. But my issue, my issue with Ohio State arises from their offense. Um, to me, just looking at it, and again, for all of our listeners, I am very much a college football casual. So take what I say how you will. But the way that I look at it, as far as these teams go, I think their defenses are very evenly matched. I think both defenses are very, very good. Um, but to me, just very plainly put, I think J.J. McCarthy is a better quarterback than Kyle McCord. Yep. That's not to say that I don't think Kyle McCord can become a good quarterback, because I think he can. Um, but as of right now, I think J.J. McCarthy is just flat out the better quarterback. Obviously, he doesn't have a Marvin Harrison Jr. on the outside. But he's got those two running backs behind him, Blake Corum and the other one, Donovan Edwards, maybe is his name. Um, he's got two really good running backs. Michigan has a great running attack on offense. JJ McCarthy's active. He could get active as far as running mm -hmm. the ball goes. He could spin it a little bit when he needs to. So I'm with you, man. I think I think Michigan wins this game by I'll tentatively say a touchdown. Um, but I I personally think this one's gonna be Michigan. I just I I think with with you know, the Harbaugh thing, I feel like that's sort of a way to rally the troops and kind of, you know, one common goal type mindset. That's just how I'm looking at this game. But nevertheless, I do think it's actually going to be a good game. Yeah. It, it, oh, it definitely will. It definitely will. I just I just think Michigan's the better team, honestly. Um, mm -hmm. Ironically enough, I think they're the better team, but I think Ohio State may go farther in the playoffs if they may make it. So that's just I how these things fair, work. I think that's a fair take. I think Michigan is bit, like built to be beat Ohio State in the Big Ten. I think Ohio State to beat every other team in the country, not named Michigan. Um, <laughs> simple as that. Just simple as that. Just with their play styles and stuff like that. And I don't think they beat Georgia either, honestly. Um, but I mean, shoot, we'll see what happens though. Saturday should be fun. Um, you want to look at other college football games for the Saturday? Yeah, yeah. I have a couple written down here uh, that I have my eye on. So Michigan Ohio State obviously was the was the big one. Yeah. Um, I believe game day will be in Ann Arbor for that game. Uh, and I'm assuming Fox big noon kickoff will be there as well, but yes, that'll be, that'll be the big, uh, that'll be the big tourist attraction for this week. And, and rightfully so um, this one, Vegas is at least saying they don't predict it, predict it to be close, but I, th I feel like this is just a game where weird stuff could potentially happen. Oregon versus Oregon state. Yes. I love um, this I rivalry. Yeah. This is a great rivalry. I don't know if it's in Eugene or if it's in Corvallis, but um, I can look it's a great, it's a great uniform matchup. I think two quarterbacks who oddly enough are a little bit similar and one is just propped up a little bit more, um, decent defenses on both sides. Uh, Oregon state can run the ball really well. This is, this is, I, I feel like this will just be a fun pac 12 game, you know? So, oh, and I believe this, is this the last Oregon, Oregon state rivalry that we're going to get? I don't, it, is so, Oregon state going to the big 12 or are they going to the big 10? Oregon is going to the Big Ten. I okay. don't know what Oregon State's doing. Um, Wasn't Oregon State one of the last remaining teams that didn't it have was a them home? in them in Washington State? Yeah. Okay. So, so so there's another added headline into this game. Are they going to the pack? Are they going to the ACC? No, they're not. They're not. They're not. Um, I don't know. I just know this. I love the Civil War. Mm -hmm. which, oh, I guess it's not called the Civil War anymore. The the rivalry formerly known as the Civil War. These <laughs> yeah, two there you teams go. do not like each other. I remember in 2020, Big Cat posted a clip of Holly Rowe and ESPN talking about this rivalry. Uh, Dante, have you seen this clip before? Or have you talked about this or tweet this before? 
I think I have. Where Holly Rose on a sideline, she's like, yeah, I've heard about this rivalry personally, and I know that it's not like, it's not nice, you're not friendly. I think she talked about how she brought her niece to a game in Corvallis. Oh, yes, I do remember that clip. Yes, I do remember that clip. (laughs) It's one of the funniest clips. So Holly Rowe, great sideline reporter, BYU alum, and just Mm -hmm. all around just great for ESPN. I think she's on game day as well, and she's on like the main ESPN broadcast. She's telling a story about how her she brought her niece to a game in Corvallis with a um, I think it was a duck sweatshirt. I can't remember if she's a duck fan or beaver fan, whatever. Anyway, okay. it was an icy game. Someone just started throwing snowballs at like just at her because she was wearing <laughs> the wrong colors. And to quote High Row, one of the they started throwing ice at her and it hit her in the head and it didn't knock her out, but it knocked her silly. So for that reason, I am very excited for this matchup just because. Like you said, great uniform matchup. Crazy things happen in this rivalry. I will be watching this game at 8.30. Um, another couple games just kind of highlight some of them. Uh, um, the Apple Cup, Washington, um, Washington, Washington State. That's yep. always a fun game. I, every year, I think, man, this is year Washington State does it. It's not, but I still think that they can. Um, another good one to keep your eye out on because this will have playoff implications. Florida State at Florida. Um, that was one I had Travis, tied up as well. Jordan Travis out for the year with a broken leg, I think. Uh, not yep. great. Uh, Billy Napier, some people are calling him a fraud as a Florida coach. Um, I've heard that sprinkled throughout the Uh-oh. last couple of years. I, I, I don't have any <laughs> comment on it, but if he could pull out this game, that will be a huge one. Um, a couple more quick hitters. I love the Iron Bowl. I don't care this game. Oh, of course. Auburn, Alabama, a back alley, some random cotton field in Alabama. This game's Parking fun lot. to watch. Parking lot. Like, this game's always the fun Iron, to watch. The Iron Bowl never disappoints. The Iron Bowl is just pure smack mouth, run the football, play defense football. Like The Iron yeah. Bowl is awesome. Although, here's my weird thing about this game. Alabama should win this game. It shouldn't be close. We're talking to a... The Auburn team that got ran through by a New Mexico State team last week and absolutely oh, like yeah. ran through. Like I've seen New Mexico State play a lot recently, uh, just because they're in conference and I've seen them play a lot. Like that's a decent team, but like there's no way they should be beating at Auburn the way they did. Mm-hmm. So in all fairness, you'd be like, okay, Alabama should kill them, right? Hugh Freeze, I don't know what he does or like what what his deal is. But anytime he plays Nick Saban, it's like you lean up in like a chair when you're playing Xbox. He just game plans oh, a yeah. whole another level. So I would not be surprised if this game's close. I would even be surprised if Auburn somehow won this game. Um, hey man, just, weird stuff happens in the Iron Bowl. We remember the kick six and you know all the yeah. all the, the weird moments that we've gotten from this game. So I would not rule anything out. Or how about this? The Cam Newton year where they go undefeated mm-hmm. and win like the the title. Alabama was up twenty one points like in that game mm-hmm. to Cam Newton and like the rest of the crew. So I don't know what's going to happen. I just know that this game's going to be fun to watch and I would definitely throw it on the TV. Uh, two more Absolutely. games, one kind of serious, not even serious, one just a fun rivalry game. Clemson at South Carolina. Yes. Um, these two schools hate each other. I was going to say, you, uh, you talk about two pro- programs that do not like each other. <laughs> like what was the Clemson quote? Like I'd rather be dead in Clemson than alive in uh, Columbia, which is like, yeah, Yep. Absolutely crazy. I don't like Clemson, <laughs> but that's a that's a tough quote. And I couldn't think of just two different people running a program, as in Dabo Sweeney and like Shane Beamer. 
Like yeah. Shane Beamer, the fun uncle that you want to play, like you want to play for, you have a great time with. He loves the guys and like has a great relationship with the guys. And Dabo Sweeney, kind of angry dad who knows going to help you succeed like later on in life. He's kind of a like he's kind of a pain to be around at times and kind of a hardo. Like mm-hmm. two different styles of play, two different fan bases. I I'm I'm a fan of South Carolina's like just everything that they do. So I'm playing for South Carolina this matchup. And then my please God, you should not watch this unless you're a masochist. The uh, as PFT calls it, the Cum Bowl, uh, UConn at Massachusetts. Um, <laughs> Yeah, great matchup. Great matchup. Um, yeah, both these teams kind of suck, but yeah, I love it's there. I, I love I love that Dan Orlovsky is such like an outward UConn supporter, and everybody's just like, "Hey, buddy, they suck." But yeah, hey, this if if you're if you're a fan of Big Ten West football, you should watch yes. this game. Yes, this is an already Big Ten West football matchup of the week. <laughs> yes, like it's going to be ugly. It's gonna be ter- like these teams are bad. <laughs> like, let, let, bad, let, bad. Let's, let's make no mistake. This this team's bad. These teams are bad football teams right now, which is crazy because UConn made it to a bowl game last year on their Jim Moore. Mm-hmm. So you would think they'd be good. They're not. And UMass, <laughs> I they're a hockey school. They're a hockey school. Yeah, for sure. They're a hockey school. That's just I I, I watched UMass play last week because you know working the games they play Liberty. I, I don't remember anything about the game, and I was dead stone cold sober because again I'm working. I just don't remember anything <laughs> about the game. It's just, it's just oh we won. It's that unmemorable. <laughs> we won. We won big. Like, I mean, we had some cool moments. I guess I think we had a pick six actually. So like, okay. If I really think hard enough, I can remember some things about the game. But I literally showed up to work and I'm like, oh, we had a game Saturday. I kind of forgot about that. Like, it's just like <laughs> I just erased it from my memory. Um, nice people though. And again, mm-hmm. very good oh, yeah. hockey school. Very good hockey school. So that's just my matchup for this week's. Um, yeah, I got I got one more. I got one more oh, that you didn't course. mention. Um, and this is, it's not going to have playoff implications. Uh, I believe UNC will probably be playing in a bowl game. So so might NC State. I don't know, but UNC is going into NC State. This is, I know, a very heated rivalry. Uh, shout out to my buddy Grayson Boone, who is an NC State alum and does the Locked On Wolfpack podcast. He's very good at it. Um, I don't know. This 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 is just a fun rivalry to me. UNC, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Mac Brown is always good for like a couple inexplicable losses. They had that against Georgia Tech a couple weeks ago, and then they ended up losing to Virginia as well. They're going into NC State as a two and a half point favorite. They could easily lose this game by like 20 points, but they could also win it by 20 points. So, like, I don't know. Yeah, Weird yeah. stuff is very capable of happening in this game. Drake May is obviously very good. They have that kid Tez Walker, I believe his name is. Who yeah, the Des NCAA, Walker. Tez Walker, yeah. who NCAA just reinstated a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't know. This this should be a fun one. Yeah, my take on this rivalry is I like Raleigh a little bit better than I like Chapel Hill. So and I fair. don't. I, I grew up not liking UNC. Um, <laughs> but UNC is uh, really good at football. But they also their defense is so bad. Like oh yeah, they're bad. Like really, really, really bad. <laughs> Um, and this NC State team is there, and they can, they should be able to. Compete. I feel like NC State is like the the pinnacle of frisky. Like they could, they, they could make some stuff happen. NC State has so many things going for it. Well, they have great athletics for the most part. Um, they're really good at baseball. I think re- like recently they are. Um, they they have a very good baseball program. They're a very well run organization. Just like top down. Just they do a lot of things very well. 
and their fan base is nuts. They have a great stadium and great facilities and great, uh, amazing tailgating scene. I don't know why they can't put it all together on the football field, but I don't think that that's going to, I don't think it's going to always be that way. I don't. I just that's think fair. that there, I think that there are too many good things happening at, in Raleigh right now for it to always be just kind of like, it's just frisky. I think sooner or later they're going to have to turn a corner in some way, shape, or form. I don't know if this is the game to do so, but I do think that good things are on the horizon for them. And UNC, say, I mean, we grew up in Maryland, so we know about UNC historically. But say what you want, top mm-hmm. down, they're a great athletic department. They have great funding. They have great boosters. They have great alumni. They're un- they're ungodly good at everything. Not even just like the main <laughs> sports, like football and basketball, but their field hockey team just won the national championship with a first year head first coach. First year head coach. Who was, oh yeah, scoring goals on the team last year. I can't think of her name right now. It escapes me, but that's a great story, just nonetheless. Great story. Super and she, cool. She's killing it. And like, I hear that, and that's just the normal at like UNC. They yeah. just have the stuff like that. Like, their women's lacrosse team. Like is really good. Their men's across. I was gonna say, like, yeah, gr- growing up and going to high school where you and I went to high school, like we know about the the recruiting pipeline that they have as far as their men's lacrosse goes. You mean everyone yeah. with the last name Kelly that went to the school across exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, man, it UNC, a it, it, lot of history in these two schools. Should be a fun game to watch. Um, I think we both know people on both ends here. You obviously, like you said, have ties to Raleigh, so yeah. should be a fun one. But yeah, rivalry week, man. Who who doesn't love rivalry week in college football? It's the best week in college football by far. Um, I love it. Hands down. It's, it's fun. Oh, Virginia Tech, Virginia should be a really interesting game this year. Um, barn burner. Barn burner right there. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. Oh, we should probably talk about another rivalry matchup this week. Turkey Bowl. Yeah, I was just still. about to say. I was just about to say. So obviously, you know, Thanksgiving, the rivalry of all rivalries. Loyola takes on the other school across Towson. Um, I was just actually talking to my cousin about this game the other day. I don't know much about either team. I'm so far removed and I haven't been following. I do know, however, that Jordan Moore, shout out Duke football, Jordan Moore's younger brother, Jaden, is still at Loyola and he is a hell of a playmaker. Um, so be on the lookout for him. Nevertheless, the Turkey Bowl, uh, oldest high school rivalry in the country. One of the best traditions in not just high school sports, in all of sports. Obviously, we're a tad biased, but whatever. Yeah. If you're in the Baltimore area, you know, you're getting ready for Thanksgiving, Thursday morning, the, the professional football's not on yet. Throw it on, enjoy some of the uh some of the some of the tradition with us uh and and cheer on the dons. Yeah. No, I don't wear red on Thanksgiving. I don't care how old I am. Nope. I don't care what I'm doing. I do not wear red at all on Thanksgiving. Every other day, fine, not on Thanksgiving. No. And Cardinals are just least favorite bird in the world right now so <laughs> yeah I don't coach care. hall coach hall ingrained that into me freshman year he was like hey we don't wear red this week not around here so uh, e- even like even now when i go to a casino if it's remotely close to the month of november and i play roulette i'm not playing i'm not putting any money on red it's all black so like I'm I, I I love this rivalry. And while I haven't gone in a while, like I still get up and watch it every Thanksgiving yeah. just because it's you have to just, yeah. you know, alumni or not like it's it's a great tradition. It's the best. And, you know, pretty soon you and I are going to start going back and we're going to start seeing kids that we graduated with with their kids there and whatnot. And 
It'll be a whole. I'm not ready for that. I'm not. I am certainly not ready for that. I'm not ready for guys from high school having kids. College with the environment. I mean, college. It makes sense. High school. That's a whole nother. That's a whole nother animal to me, dude. And didn't you play in this rivalry before? Like, am I? No, I no. So I never. I never played in it. I stopped playing sophomore year before we got there. But uh, some of my best friends, Ryan Gallagher, Mike Colgan, Jake Barwick, like they all they all played in it. Shout out Ryan Gallagher. He actually uh, our junior year he had a touchdown in this game. That's right, Um, he did. (laughs) Definitely shouldn't have counted because it was on a fumble on a kickoff that the guy was for sure down, but. I just remember watching Ryan pick it up and sprint down the sideline. And I was like, what is he doing? Anyway, good memories. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like I said, incredible Nordy rivalry, incredible tradition. Uh, yeah. Nordy, Nordy, had, Nordy the had the block. Nordy had the block. Some great moments, man. So yeah, if you're in the Baltimore area, throw it on. It'll be on uh, everybody's TVs. Uh, and like I said, roll downs, baby. Roll downs, roll. Roll downs, roll. Uh, I think that puts a bow on this episode, episode 80. Uh, thank you all for rocking with us another week. If you are traveling for Thanksgiving, Josh, like I said, I know you are. Be safe. Get to wherever you're going uh, safely and enjoy the weekend. Hopefully none of you have to work on Friday and you can enjoy a long weekend. Uh, I unfortunately will be working on Friday, which sucks, but uh, definitely going to make up for it Wednesday night. So if any of you guys are in or around uh, Bel Air and you're out and about, come find me. If not, Happy Thanksgiving to you all, and we will see you next week. Josh. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving, every. Cheers. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. (laughs) Peace. All right, y'all. Last order of business. As always, best bets of the week, and then we'll send you all into this holiday weekend. I'm going to do the same thing I did last year. I'm going to pick all of the Thanksgiving games. Uh, I'm not going to pick the Black Friday game just because there's too much going on, and I don't know which way I want to go there. Uh, Jets, Dolphins, so I'm just going to leave that one. But I will have picks for all three Thanksgiving slate games. So let's go ahead and dive into it. First game of the day at noon, Packers-Lions. I'm going to lay the seven and a half here with Detroit. Uh, I think Detroit's just flat out the better team. I will say Green Bay, I thought, looked good against the Chargers last uh, last week, but the Chargers' defense is just downright awful. They're dead last in the league in passing, as we mentioned. Um, They're decent against the run. I think they're 12th or something against the run, but Green Bay really doesn't run the ball a ton. I think they just let Jordan Love air it out, and he did so really well. Uh, the Packers are 28th stopping the run. The Lions are fifth in rush yards per game, so edge Lions there. Packers are seventh stopping the pass, so they're pretty good, but the Lions are good as well. They're fourth in the league in passing yards per game, so something's got to give there. I think if they supplement the pass game with the run game, just wear down the Packers front with David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs, um, I think they're going to have a lot of success. Maybe look at Jared Goff's under. Um, I'd imagine it's going to be somewhere around the 240-250 mark, uh, but anyway, if you're looking for some props, maybe that's one to keep your eye on. Detroit's defense is also 16th in the league against the pass. Green Bay has a 19th ranked offense. They've been better over the last three games. I think they're averaging somewhere around 240 yards per game through the air over the last three. But Detroit has also been considerably better over the last three as well, uh, averaging less than 200 yards given up. Green Bay is also going to be without Aaron Jones here. Uh, He is a huge part to that offense, both running and catching the ball. Um, I just I like the Lions here. I think this is a this is a big statement opportunity for them. Uh, first game at home in Detroit on Thanksgiving where they actually have something to play for. Uh, they're currently like the second or third seed in the NFC. Uh, if they win this game, they're probably going to cement themselves as the NFC North winner, as if they haven't already. Um, I don't know. I just I, I like the Lions in the spot here. I think this is going to be a big time win uh, or at least a big time opportunity to get a statement win for Dan Campbell. 
Um, I also lean to the over here, 46 and a half. These teams just tend to put up a lot of points when they play each other. Um, Detroit last week gave up a good amount of points to Chicago. I think Green Bay is better than Chicago. Um, I still like the Lions laying the seven and a half, but I lean to the over 46 and a half here as well. Second game, uh, Commanders at Cowboys. Not a great game. Uh, I can't bring myself to lay the 10 and a half with the Cowboys here. Divisional matchup. I'm going to take the over 48 and a half. Um, both of these teams are middle of the pack as far as run game goes on offense and defense. Uh, where the edge here for Dallas comes is in the pass game. Uh, Dallas is the fifth passing ranked offense in the league as far as yards per game go. Uh, and Washington is 10th. The difference on defense is quite staggering. Washington's defense is number 30 against the pass and Dallas is number two. So while Sam Howell may be leading the league in passing yards and, you know, their passing offense has shown that they can do some stuff. Dallas is a really good pass defense. Uh, they're just behind Cleveland as far as yards per game goes. Um, I think this is going to be a game where the Cowboys just sling it all over the place. The Cowboys, like we said in, in weeks prior, they just beat up on bad teams. So I think the 48 and a half here is definitely going to be in play. Um, I'm not in love with this pick, but uh, if I were to pick something out of this game, I think that's the best one uh, with the most value. So over 48 and a half in Cowboys commanders. Last game of the day, the Thursday night game, 49ers at Seahawks. I'm going to lay the seven with the 49ers. I don't love that I'm all over each favorite on this day, but um, the 49ers are just flat out the better team. They got Trent Williams and uh, Debo Samuel back. That team is completely different with those two on the field. Trent Williams in particular, he is just a monster. Um, Seattle is going to be without Kenneth Walker III. Gino is also banged up. He's got an elbow. Um, C- San Francisco lost Talanoa Hufanga. Uh, their secondary was already kind of not great. Uh, losing him is a massive blow. But if Gino is 100% healthy, I think they're going to struggle to push the ball through that secondary. Um, and with no real run game to lean on uh, without Kenneth Walker, obviously, like we've mentioned, Zach Charbonnet is very good, but I don't think he can carry the load on his own. So I think the 49ers laying seven here is good. They should win this game. Uh, also, Kyle Shanahan just tends to play pretty well against Pete Carroll. So I'm going to lay the seven here. Also, another thing that stood out to me about this game, San Francisco's pass rush, uh, we all know about it, um, versus that Seahawks front. I look back to what we did uh, in the Ravens-Seahawks game a couple weeks ago. I think we had five sacks or something in that game. I think San Francisco is going to be able to get to Gino. And if he's not 100% healthy, um, I just I, I don't really see how they're going to have much success offensively. So I like laying the seven here with the Niners. Other games on the weekend that I like going to Sunday Panthers versus Titans. This is a terrible game. Absolutely disgusting game. I'm going to go under 37 here. Um, neither offense is really all that great, both running or passing the ball. Obviously, Tennessee and Derrick Henry, we, we know what he can do. Um, but hasn't really done all that much this year. So ne- neither offense really impresses me all that much. Tennessee's defense is okay against the run. Carolina is actually very good against the pass. Will Levis outside of that first game really hasn't done much. Um, I don't, I just, this game screams 20 to 13 written all over it. So I'm going to, I'm going to take the under 37 here. Next game. I think this is my play of the week. Uh, I'm laying the one and a half with the Steelers on the road in Cincinnati. Obviously, Cincinnati doesn't have Joe Burrow. Um, T. Higgins may or may not go for this game. Not entirely sure. But for me, this is all about vibes. This is a massive game for the Steelers coming off firing Matt Canada. Anytime you fire a coordinator, it's naturally going to make everybody else elevate a little bit because I think everybody else is going to start feeling some pressure, especially Kenny Pickett. Um, so that coupled with the fact that Jake Browning really isn't all that. 
uh, I wasn't impressed nearly with anything that he did against the Ravens this week. I think him, the bad offensive line from Cincinnati, uh, the tough defense that Cincinnati has been playing all year, tough meaning not great. Um, I just, I don't know. I think this is an obligatory Steelers have to win this game. So I'm going to lay the one and a half with the Steelers. My second favorite play of the week comes in the Eagles bills game in Philadelphia. I'm going to lay the three with the Eagles. Uh, Philly's just flat out the better team. The Eagles run defense is, or excuse me, run offense is one of the best in the league. The bills defense is not very good, has not played well in some time. Um, and also I think the Eagles defensive front is going to be able to get a huge push on Josh Allen, uh, bully that offensive line around and maybe make up for the secondary, not being as great as they should be. Um, I think this is only this number is only going to go up, so I'm partially playing the value here. Get it at three while you can, um, but yeah, I love Eagles laying three at home against the Buffalo Bills, coming off a Monday night win against the Chiefs. Uh, just a really good good spot for Philly, in my opinion. That's all I got for now. I will put out my picks later on in the week. If you guys have any that you like, feel free to send them over to me or the intern. Until next week, fellas, have a great Thanksgiving and best of luck. Never let me